0: to a new episode of the Good Faith Idea Exchange. For today's episode, I sit down with Professor Douglas Gobel of the University of Rhode Island. Professor Gobel is a physicist. You know, physics is essentially the study of the living world around us and why, how, and why everything is the way that it is. So today we are going to be talking about something very important, Uh, something that uh, I learned from him um, in one of his classes. I was a student of his. It's called the Carrington Event. And to me, um, it's something very few people know about, and I'd like to spread the word about this. So we're going to cut to the chase, and we're going to get right to the part of this interview where we begin talking about it. Give it a listen. I kind of wanted to jump uh, right into this because it just really interests me, but uh, I was in a class of yours a couple of years ago, and um, and of all the stuff you talked about in there, there was one thing um, which really stuck out to me more than everything else, uh, this one thing in particular, and um, it was the day that you would talk to us about the Carrington event. I hadn't known about it before that, uh, and, and honestly, I don't think a lot of people really know about that or know what it is. What is the Carrington event, and why would you say it's important?
1: The Carrington event is not something we know a spectacular amount about, because it's going to happen back in 1859. And so our resources to understand things like solar activity were limited. What astronomers could do at the time was look at things like sunspots, uh how many there were, their motion, um, things like this, to try and make some understandings of what's going on. But they could also, from time to time, see large events like coronal mass ejections, where these are uh, very large, very violent outbursts from sun that take what you always have, which is what we would call the solar wind, which is uh, charged particles leaving the solar atmosphere at relatively high velocities. And those are you know dangerous on their own, generally speaking. But fortunately, Earth has a lot of defenses against this. Uh, primarily, it's magnetic field and your atmosphere. Still, some stuff gets through. But when you're looking at something like a solar flare or a CME, you're now dialing that up to a more significant amount of energy being expelled from sun at any given moment. Take this as you know, your wind on an everyday basis, doesn't really phase you that much, but on a hurricane you might want to watch out. And that's not a bad way of putting things. And these happen all the time. And now in 2022, we have theoretically a much better understanding of sun. We still have no idea how to really and meaningfully predict things like this because that question will come later. But yeah, we could have at any given moment a large-scale outburst from sun that happens to go in Earth's direction. And that's what happened back in 1859. There was a large solar outburst, and it happened to be directly in the path of where Earth was at the time. And so the sunlit side of Earth got walloped pretty hard by a massive onslaught of charged particles that were going to interact with Earth in a significant way. Um, Because what's going to happen at that point in time is, for one, how most people are going to know something's going on, there will be significant auroral discharge at significantly lower latitudes than normal, from time to time, if there is a significant solar event, or no, nah, I don't want to say significant, a reasonably significant solar event, you could see auroral activity down in Rhode Island and southern New England, for example, that's not unheard of and not you know something that would worry me on a day-to-day basis it's a nice thing um but when you start seeing it down in kind of the southern united states and the southern latitudes that's significant um and the reason why is because earth's magnetic field your primary line of defense is strongest at the equator ish um and weakest at again kind of your semi-polar regions and so new england being in kind of the middling latitudes is in the middling defensive line Um, But these charged particles are going to come in, and they're going to interact with what limited human technology they had at the time in a very particular way. Put simply, we're going to induce a lot of current in a lot of things. Now, fortunately, in 1859, there were not a lot of things that human beings used that carried a current in it. Light bulb wasn't really in use yet of any meaningful way. Electric grids weren't in use in any meaningful way. So that wasn't a mega problem. But there were telegraph lines. And telegraph lines work by carrying a current through them. And so a massive amount of current was sent through telegraph lines, shocking a lot of people, melting lines, causing limited fires here and there. It's something that's important to say that it's not going to do anything directly to people um again long term exposure to a significant amount of solar radiation in this case, which is what we 're talking about, would definitely be bad for human beings. But the amount that 's getting down to earth, even in a significant event like the Carrington event, no one's going to get cancer from that that 's not going to you know cause off some great dying. Uh, these things do happen, but again, I know that that 's probably going to be coming soon. So the answer is we don't know how often. Uh, telescope was invented in 1604 before that studying sun was not terribly easy don't stare at sun and so if we're being super duper generous we've got about four centuries worth of data on a star that's four and a half billion years old so we could say that's you know four and a half million thousand years old if we want to try and make a more comparative term which means we've been looking at sun for less than a blink of an eye. So to say that we understand it and its workings is just laughable. Right.
0: Right. Now, now professor, I know you, I know you just said, um, you know, back in 1859, it was, you know, simple stuff like telegraph wires that were taken out, but um, what would happen if an event of the same magnitude were to hit us today?
1: Nothing good. (laughs) There is nothing in human history that you could begin to compare it to. It's not like even prehistory where we could look to the KT event, for example, which killed off the dinosaurs. Putatively, a large rock is going to hit off the coast of New Mexico. Mexico, excuse me. And um, yeah, bad times. Um, Again, this will... If it happened today, the initial death toll would be not insignificant, so we'd have to start thinking our way through it. So basically, what you have to say is that one side of the planet is technologically dead, and the other side is okay for now. Um, it's not quite that simple, but you, the sun side, whatever side of Earth was daytime, is the side that got hit, you're facing sun that's why it's daylight and if it's nighttime then your side is theoretically more or less okay so when i say all your technology is dead we tend to forget things like our cars have computer chips in them we are a bit more aware of that now kind of post-COVID with the chip shortage these days um but yeah most cars will not start if you have a classic car you're probably in decent shape depending on the situation uh, and the severity of the event but almost no one's vehicle is going to start. I hope you've got a bike, although it really won't help you long term. Right. Uh, if you were hooked up to technology to keep you alive, you were on the initial death count. Uh, anyone who is you know, medically kept alive, you know, we have to have you hooked up to a machine, you know, people on dialysis, anything like this. Uh, remember, your generators aren't running. It's not like we have backup power. The jennies are dead, too. So there is literally no power so anyone who requires power to be literally kept alive is going to die in whatever amount of time they require to die off that power Uh, all the airplanes in the sky will drop out of the sky Uh, certainly some very talented uh, pilots will probably be able to glide to a landing depending on where they are Um, but a lot of people are going to die falling out of the sky again the very sensitive avionics most Airplanes these days are fly by wire, which means if I take out all of your electrical systems, you really, the the rudders aren't connected to pedals, basically. Um, So it it would be bad. I know it spills out from there. Uh, Most people rely on technology to be kept alive. I would have said in class, uh, I am mildly anachronistic in the sense that i run a small farm and i have a lot of what i would need in order to survive without it by which i mean i have things like wood stoves i can purify water i can cook my food i don't need electricity for that and other things but the the next real horror stories are going to happen in the cities where you're going to quickly run out of food again the city is just because of population density we need to feed them harder than we need to feed other places the, the mere amount of You know, material that needs to go in and out. Remember, we have no ability to move that material around anymore. We'll have tons of gas; it won't be terribly useful, like burn. Um, Or if you have anything that can run off of that gasoline that doesn't need a computer chip in it, and again, there will be some things, and so people will get clever, but. The long story short is billions well I guess you could get really lucky and have basically the Pacific get mostly hit. you have like California and Japan and the East Coast of China. I suppose I need to really map it out. I mean that's your real best case scenario is that like Hawaii dead center <laughs> because that's just where the the lowest density of humans is right and if otherwise again, if you have like <clears throat> kind of Africa Europe. Uh, Asia facing, that that's a mega blow. You have 3 billion people living in Southeast Asia, uh, so we might want to kind of move it over so America takes a bit more of the the brunt. Maybe we push it over to the Rockies to try and minimize the effect. But if you like North and South America again could easily be in the line of fire, that's another several billion. Um, The deaths would be huge. It's mostly because of starvation, starvation, disease, depredation. Uh, deprivation we've seen this kind of taste of this and you know we may have discussed this in class depending on what it was you know it's funny for me i've spoken about these things for years and then covid hit and i kind of got to look at my class That semester, told you uh yeah. as people started making a run for toilet paper and for food and i sold more livestock and produce during the spring of 2020 than i ever have at any point in my life suddenly everyone was very interested in where their food came from because they realized it doesn't magically show up Mm -hmm. and we are very very dependent on these services not a bad case for why we need you know more distributed and localized networks. You know, this helps with things like food deserts and whatnot. But if we didn't have to push as much food as far, and there's good and bad and ugly for that, but it's really going to be food. Medicine will kill a few, but most humans aren't being kept alive full time on medicine. It'll be food. Hmm. Uh, water won't be terrible, depending on where you are, because you can you can hand pump that stuff out of wells. You'll have your rivers. People build fires. We can purify water. It's just like figured out you don't need yeast to make bread. And all of a sudden everyone had the starters. People <laughs> will hit the libraries. I swear the books are still there, um, but that's a serious statement. Wikipedia will be down. There will be no YouTube this time. All of a sudden you're going to be really happy that you have physical paper books available to you where we will have the lessons that people have completely forgotten over time.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, Well, so also uh, in the time since 1859, have there been any near misses or less powerful versions of this phenomenon?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a a near miss within the last decade, I think. It's like back in 2012. Um, I don't remember how close, but it's important to note space is a big place. It's a very, very, very big place. It's hard even with any amount of time I would give here to explore just how big it is. A direct hit like the Carrington event on Earth is not bloody likely, but again, we know it happens. The biggest issue is we're not entirely certain on how often it happens because it's only in the last century, really, that humans would have totally noticed something like this. Before that, again, without any kind of dependence on electrical currents of any kind, it doesn't matter no one cares again no one dies no one gets cancer nothing happens you you get a light show in the sky ooh huh? that's it right, right. i'm um, sure someone going you know the gods are angry or something like that we we, we could take it there but again that's com- probably going to be your biggest influence and astronomy's all over that with comets and asteroids we're, we're blamed for everything so <laughs> that wouldn't be news
0: okay i got you now how okay well that pretty much covers my my next question covered my next question It was just going to be how great did you think the chance was that another event could happen but um as far as um as far as the general public goes um you know are there any other things you can think of that um, we can do to be better prepared in case something like this were to happen in our lifetime
1: no I mean, there's not a lot that long term one could really do to prepare for this. I mean, if I look to the, again, the very pie in the sky ideology, I would like to see all of civilization moving to more renewable technologies, again, solar panels will get whacked and our, our windmills wouldn't really be working either, but we could kind of jerry rig those back a little more easily than some other things. But if we kind of were less distributed than we are now, that would help us a little bit. Back in the day, again, with smaller population centers, it would probably have been a little bit easier to have local regions keeping people alive. But when you look at just massive population centers, like just look at New York, for example, you can't sustain New York from within New York. It has to have resources from external to it. So it's it's just going to be bad. And the only people who are really secure from this will be a few military facilities, for example, which have been already hardened against nuclear attacks, because the effects of the two are similar electronically in the sense of um, what we would call an EMP or an electromagnetic pulse. So a place like Cheyenne Mountain, for example, wouldn't even feel it. It'd be like nothing happened. All of their delicate electronics would be just fine. But also don't forget that all of the satellites in space that were on the side that could be seen, they're gone. They are completely gone. If the International Space Station got walloped by that, we have just said goodbye to a few astronauts. Could they make it home? Oh, God, that would get ugly. Maybe. Maybe. Those Soyuz spacecraft are really reliable 1970s Russian technology. (laughs) Uh, You might be able to manually operate a few things without a need for as much technology but it's these kinds of things where you kind of have to look for some of the edge cases it it just gets ugly there's not a lot we could do unfortunately humanity has put itself into a position over the last 12,000 years of building civilization to build this inverted pyramid where it's easier and easier and easier as time goes on to knock you down the quick example i might have given you in class is that we have artwork on cave walls we have writing on cave walls we have carving in stone from literally thousands tens of thousands of years ago in one moment with a carrington level event i can take your entire life just you as a person and your massive digital footprint and it's gone like it never existed all that stuff that we've built up all of these photos and videos and then recordings and anything all of our our digital art and all these other things these are very important things it's not to say that like physical art is more meaningful or, or something like that but again think even as i'm trying to let my brain go places your dollar bill will be fine but your cryptocurrency could be gone um depending on how distributed the network is it's stuff like this where suddenly if you literally go from a physical currency to an entire digital currency again now you've got a completely different event now you've got no money after that happens. And you know, looking to the future, I I wouldn't be entirely surprised to see everyone eventually going to some kind of a digital currency. It seems to be the trajectory of things. And as we continue to do that, it just becomes easier and easier to just knock humanity over. That's what I mean by the idea of an inverted pyramid. The bigger it gets, the easier it's going to be to just knock the whole thing over. And there's not a lot we can do about it in that sense. The best thing you can do if you want to know the right answer, is you need a Mars colony. A lunar colony would not really help you because if it hits Earth, it's probably going to hit Moon. Um, the only upshot on Moon might be that an early lunar colony, you see, without Moon has no magnetic field, no atmosphere. Kind of a duh. At least in the second one, it has no protection from solar wind and solar events. And so when we have sent human beings, the handful of them, uh, 18 dudes off the top of my head, who have gone out and been exposed to those winds, we have a good understanding of the amount of radiation they're intaking. And again, as we may have discussed in class, radiation A is a word we should probably define in a minute in a better sense. But B is not instant death, and it depends on a lot of different things. Humans take a lot of radiation every day, a lot of different varieties. Um, So on moon, though, if we're going to spend a long time there, so again, our Apollo astronauts, they're the ones who've done this. They spend a very limited window of time out there. And we give them a good checkup when they come back. If you're going to be on moon for a prolonged period of time, we have to shield you. We're not just going to let you take it. So they're going to be underground. And if we put all of our technology underground as well, that might be enough to uh, give a reasonable amount of protection. But really what you want is a Mars colony because it would be just be a really bad day if Earth and Mars happened to be lined up both in the line of fire from sun because that just wouldn't happen almost ever.
0: All right. And this concludes this episode with Professor Gobel uh, about the Carrington event. And why the Carrington event is so important. This episode was, um, to me, is especially, especially excellent. You know, I feel like this episode was very, very informative. Um, I hope you guys got to learn quite a bit uh, from it. And next week, uh, we will be having another episode with Professor Gobel. And in that episode, we will be talking about radiation light, what is actually harmful to humans and what is not. And as, as we as a society begin to wean ourselves off of fossil fuels, what is what are the different sorts of energy, the different sorts of power that we have in front of us? You know, nuclear power, wind, solar, etc. What are these different sorts of power and what is really the best for us to use and why? Um, we're going to touch on that and quite a few other things. Um, I, think you sh- I think you definitely want to listen to uh, next week's episode as well. Anyway, thank you all for listening and have a great day.